This podcast is about something which is very, very important to every one of us, and that is money. This podcast goes deep into the concepts of money, like how money works, why do we value dollars or certain currencies, and from where to learn about money and how to manage money with Michelle Pava, who is a licensed psychotherapist and financial therapist for over 30 years. And if you really want to support this podcast or you want to support me, then please share this podcast with your friends and family and with whoever you think might find it to be useful. So without wasting any more time, let's get started. So Michelle, how are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you for having me here. I am very excited about this. I am also very excited because today we are going to talk about something which is considered to be a little bit taboo compared to Mm -hmm. where each one of us live. And that is about finances and money. And I, I don't think I'm a very capable person of talking about these kind of things because the knowledge I have of finances and money are mainly through academic sources, YouTube, or books. I don't have any practical knowledge. I actually think that's pretty good. That's better than a lot of people because a lot of people don't even dive into it. So I think that's pretty good. And honestly, I feel like what you just said is probably the best because sometimes people will look towards financial advisors or different finance professionals, and that's good, but they're often selling something. So I think it's very good to learn on your own where you're not being sold anything. It's because if somebody's selling you something, they have a little bias, you know? Yes. So actually I'm diving deep into this kind of things because I know that some at some point of my life, I'll have to deal with money. It can be very less money or it can be a lot of money, but I want to make mm-hmm. full use of the money so that to ensure that I never run out of money hopefully in the future. Right. So talking about money, right. I don't think many people don't, I don't, I think many people do not understand what is really, what is money actually, and what are the basic concepts of money. So I would like to you know, start off by asking, if you have to explain a kid what money is, how would you explain it? So if I were talking to a younger child, maybe like even a preteen, so 13 years old, 12 years old, and they they kind of know what money is. They know that they need money to buy something, but they don't really understand the concept of it. Money is just a form of value, something that we assign value to. So it's not even like, really, it doesn't have much value on its own. It's a piece of paper for most people or um, a very cheap metal for other people but we assign the value to it, which is why also cryptocurrency is a big deal because we're starting to assign value to that. So wherever we assign value, and honestly, our value really comes down to, for most people, their time. People usually make money to be able to do things that they want to do and have more time doing it. So really time, when people say time is money, it really is true. Time is The only thing that you really have that you can never get back. You can make money, you can lose money, but once time is gone, that's it. So when you think of money, it's something that we assign value to, but it often is something that we feel is going to give us something back. It's going to make life easier. It's going to make us thinner, fatter, prettier, more handsome, uh, more cool, like whatever it is that we feel that we need, that's where we take uh, money, basically. So money unto itself is really abstract, which which is completely why it's so important for people to understand that when you're talking about something that's abstract, because money mm. to me is one thing, money in another country is something different, and then mm. we have to meet somewhere in the middle on what that value is and what we can get for that value. And our emotions are really tied to it. It's abstract, and our emotions are pretty abstract. So when you start to realize that money is just something external that think of it as an additional emotion that we work with. And a lot of people don't really work with their own emotions too well, and they're not going to work with money too well either because of that. And how we're raised can really influence that as well. 
So I know I just babbled a little bit, but I get so passionate about it. So <laughs> it's just, I've seen a lot of people suffer and I've suffered a lot. Mm. And um, my own suffering has made me want other people to not have the suffering that I did. So. Hmm. You just mentioned a very good point, And that is like how you were raised has an impact on what kind of thinking you have, you have about money. And that just reminded me of the probably the only financial book I've ever read and with, that is like Rich, Rich Dad and Poor Dad, you know, where the author, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where the author had the uh, like opportunity to see two dads of like two mentalities. One was a very successful yep. one very with a very stable job, but had no financial education and always used to say that uh, you need to get a job and do all these things to get rich. But ultimately, he also was a job holder, a government service holder, I guess. But he was not financially happy. And mm -hmm. the, other, the other dad who was poor, but had rich financial knowledge. And what, what ended up being ha happening is that the poor dad became rich and the rich dad became poor. So that, that happens a lot. That comparison, I think he had... He had made it so beautifully. And, and when I read the mm -hmm. book, or I did not read the book, I just heard the audiobook version. And when I heard the version, my mind just blew away because these are so simple concepts. And I don't think many people realize it. Nope. And the thing is, it's so common. So a lot of times on the surface, mm -hmm. you look at people generally judge, judge each other, not in a negative way always, but just we... We, uh, evolutionary speaking, if we go back in time, mm -hmm. we had to look at in our tribe, who was the one that was the strongest, who was the one that was the fastest, who knew how to cook, who knew how to do this and that. So we always had to make sure that we had some kind of special talent. And I feel like mm -hmm. evolution is still with us. We're always in our neighborhoods looking at what car is that person driving? What kind of clothes are they wearing? What can I do to make myself as important as these people. And what happens is people start buying and living in the way that their neighbors or community does. It's very typical. You can drive in and out of different neighborhoods, at least in the United States, and definitely see, okay, now I'm in this neighborhood and everyone has sports cars. Now I'm in this neighborhood and everyone has really fancy houses, but we don't even see the cars. The cars are, in, are locked up in the back. You know, mm. and it's weird because in in society generally, we might look at someone who has a beautiful house and a beautiful car and they're wearing certain types of name brand clothes and we go, oh, they're wealthy. Well, mm. they're usually not. It's usually, in fact, the highest level of people that are living paycheck to paycheck are doctors and lawyers. That's mm. like a statistic. So a lot of times people think, oh, doctors are so wealthy. They they make a lot of money, but making a lot of money doesn't mean that you're wealthy. And that's where it doesn't connect. There's a lot of people that are plumbers and electricians or bank tellers who are usually in a bank environment, like one of the lower entry level jobs. And sometimes they're making and they have they're, they're not making as much, but they have more money because they're financially literate. And that's a huge thing. But it also matters what your self-value is. And that's mm -hmm. a lot of where. I didn't really, I kind of fell into financial therapy. I mean, I had a marketing and neuromarketing background, business analytics and journalism, but I started noticing all of my clients, almost all of them. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say all of them, most of them. They either were having some kind of a struggle financially with their kids. Their kids were spending too much or not, you know, not doing certain things or with their spouse or having problems at their job. And it just felt like it, sometimes they couldn't even afford to continue therapy, even though they had a great car, a great home, a great job, but they were living so, and, you know, I would give them discounts and everything else. And it felt weird because some of my clients that were, say, a waitress, she had no problem sometimes paying my rate, but someone who looked wealthy on the surface struggled. And I realized a lot of it was really how people spend, but how they feel about themselves. 
So the person who sometimes has all the fancy stuff is incredibly insecure. And sometimes the person that just doesn't care is very secure. But we look at people like, oh, that poor waitress. And she's not really that poor and she's pretty confident. So we have to really be less judgmental when we're looking around and sometimes not even look around, like stop looking at what other people have and just focus on what makes you happy. And a lot of people can't do, they have a hard time doing that because how they were raised. So. I think uh, it is very important to have the right kind of surroundings because say, for example, if you are a middle-class family, but you have a surroundings of rich people, then obviously you will feel that pressure of being on the edge of being, mm -hmm. of having expensive gifts or expensive items, which you cannot afford mm -hmm. at that moment. And right. that's going to, even if it shows that you're happy, but internally that's, that's most likely going to damage you. So, so even in this case, I think it's very important to have the right kind of people around you, the people Definitely. who will help you to grow mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, and mm -hmm. also financially, because Right. If you don't have the right kind of people, then you will obviously going to end up somewhere negative or some somewhere poor in the long term or short term future. Yeah. And what I see a lot of is people. And, and that's what a lot of my work is about. It's about helping people to see their own self value. And you have to be able to love who you are and trust that you're a good person. Now, unfortunately, a lot of parents don't mean to do this, but a lot of parents want their kids to go to college and be successful. And they really focus on, you have to do good in school to get good grades, mm. to get into a good college, to be successful and to buy a house and to take care of your family. But no one's ever saying, are you happy in school? Do you want the house? Or do you want to travel? Like, what will make you happy? But a lot of parents project a lot of their own insecurities or dreams onto their children. And they don't mean to do it. They don't mean to do it maliciously. They just do it. And I have done it myself. I mean, a lot of parents do it. And you don't mean to do it. You just want your kids to be secure. And you know that money is security. But also mm -hmm. money can come and go. But how we're raised like I know a lot of people like I did a lot of surveys with with people and um I did one survey of a lot of middle income individuals they were mostly middle income I would say 80 percent of them were middle income and I asked them what their perceptions were like hmm. what do you think of people that are struggling uh what do you think of people living paycheck to paycheck what do you think of people that are on government funding what do you think of people that are wealthy and the weirdest thing was they felt the people that were paycheck to paycheck were just like trying to make it work. They're good people trying to make it work, but they had a bias, negative bias towards poor people. Poor people just need to work harder. And then they had a weird, this is the weirdest thing. Rich people were greedy. So basically like they're stuck because if your idea of poor people is negative and your idea of rich people is negative, and when I'm saying poor and rich, I mean financially, because I don't believe that poor people are like poor generally. I just think that financially they seem poor to other people. Um, and I'm not talking about poverty, which is a different thing. But if you really feel that everyone else is negative, but living paycheck to paycheck is good and admirable, you're never going to not live paycheck to paycheck. If you think wealthy, wealthy people are greedy or they're out to get you or they're sneaky, your subconscious is always going to stop you from being wealthy because you have such a negative view of it. And if you yeah. are so fearful of being in poverty, you're actually stopping yourself from seeing that having less is okay. So you're going to constantly buy things to make yourself happy because that represents middle income, not poverty. Mm. Poverty is like, I can't afford a luxury car. I can only afford a used car. Well, I don't want to do that because I'm middle income. So people mm. put themselves in these boxes and they don't realize they're doing it. And even if you're middle income, you might have a romantic partner who comes from a, another middle income family, but your ideas of what 
maybe even entertainment is, is completely different. So say you save $100 for entertainment a month. And most people don't even do that. But say you do that. Well, if it's me and my husband, my idea of entertainment might be buying books at a bookstore and just like taking the afternoon and just like buying $100 worth of books. His idea might be buying a bunch of movies over the course of the month and sitting down and watching movies. So if we don't have the same idea of what entertainment is, we're going to have money fights because it's our values that are different. I'll see that as frivolous. He'll see mine as a waste of time. Like, why don't you just go to the library? So our ideas on what is valuable is what really causes a lot of the money fights between couples and also a lot of the bias that we have even as people, when we look at our neighbors or different communities in our, where we live. Hmm. I've noticed one thing is that what you said is very true because I've seen people hating rich people, like billionaires, like Jeff Bezos. But at the end of mm-hmm. the day, normal people also want to become billionaires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so, so weird. It's really like- ironic. Everyone is like Bill Gates. Everyone's like against Bill Gates because I know, I know, I know why. I know like the conspiracy theories and everything else. And I totally, and I don't mean to offend anyone who believes the conspiracy theories or doesn't believe that they are conspiracy theories. So I'm not out to insult anyone. But the reality is, is if you research Bill Gates, Mm. he has done a lot for people. Now you might not agree with everything he does, but he has done a lot for people as well. And you can't deny Mm. that. And like, why do you think like the whole like microchip, like he's paying to put microchips in people. Like, why does he care what some average housewife in the middle of the United States, like he doesn't care what she's doing, but I mean, like people get so, they don't understand philanthropy. They don't understand investments. They don't understand that sometimes you put money into something and Mm. The organization does things that you might not like, but you generally want the organization to work on something positive. So people don't always understand all of these different dynamics. And then they say like, well, he's a horrible person. And it turns into he's wealthy and you can't trust wealthy people because they take that one person. And even if it's true, let's just say Bill Gates is a jerk. Um, (laughs) Even if that's true, he doesn't represent every single wealthy person. But that's what happens. People will look at certain people and say, like, oh, that's that's what they are. You know, a really good example of this is all of the racial issues. I don't know about the rest of the world, but the United States mm-hmm. is a mess with racial issues. And so it's the mm-hmm. same thing. If you see a black man walking down the street, the bias is, oh, he's a bad black man and he's going to hurt me. And that's like not reality. Like, there's more actual white men that are committing crimes than black men. So it's just the bias. And so it's the same thing with rich people and the wealthy are actually very much. Usually they are usually the ones that I've met. I mean, I've met horrible people in every single financial space and I've met really nice people in financial spaces, but I definitely have found that wealthy people tend to have more of a positive attitude They tend to help people a lot. They enjoy giving money to people. They enjoy supporting the arts or philanthropy or whatever, donating. They enjoy sharing what they know. They just are very open. And a lot of middle income, maybe bordering on struggling, are more, they don't want to share anything because they don't want anyone else to get ahead. You know, they are Mm -hmm. all about like fighting for, you know, they're not going to share things with their job because They don't want you to get the raise. They want the raise. And Mm. they see everything as, why would I do that for someone else? They can work for it the way I work. It's like very weird, but they'll have the same problems with the wealthy people. And my goal is to help both the people that are struggling, the people Mm. in middle income and the wealthy people, because they have their own set of issues. It's very different to just be happy with themselves. So they don't have those struggles. If you're middle income, paycheck to paycheck or even struggling, if you're happy with yourself, you're not Mm. going to have all these weird biases with other people. You're just not going to do it. You're not going to, you're going to take people at face value, not stereotype them as much. And so that's what tends to happen. So the research and the data shows that this is what's happening 
with different demographics of income in the United States, at least, and Canada a little bit too. So. I find it to be really sad when people like blame or say that all the billionaires are bad instead of just focusing, instead of focusing on how money works, how businesses work, how they can have a greater impact in the world and then monetize it so that they can also earn money by doing good to people. And the mm-hmm. amount of hate I see on billionaires, on, especially on social media, I don't know, like, I'm not saying that they're like 100% good, every billionaire is good. Right. Like, I'm not saying that, but but what I'm trying to, con- the message I'm trying to convey is that the amount of time you put on hating or you know criticizing billionaires, just put twice or even more time in just like learning how money works, learning how mm-hmm. Amazon like managed to pay zero taxes, right? Right. People just go crazy about this idea, like oh, Amazon <laughs> pays zero taxes, but. I don't think right. a lot of people goes on the internet and see how taxes work. I don't think a lot of nope. people like read the books on taxes and money because if, once you read that or once you at least have the basic idea, you will realize that what they're doing is not illegal, right? right. And and I don't not I do not have any clear idea, but I I think like they in reinvest most of their money so that they do not have to you know put that on the balance sheet which is why mm-hmm. I think they get very le- uh, less amount of taxes. And also they right. employ people from where there are very low tax uh, charged. So they, in that, through those loopholes, they find those political and uh, social loopholes, which manages to you know, reduce their amount of taxes. But when people, they, they just read the headlines. Even I'm, I, yeah. even I'm, I'm guilty of it. I, I'm not like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm very knowledgeable of something like that. When I saw that mm-hmm. headline for the very first time, I was also like, something is wrong. But when I got to know how right. it works, then I realized, no, it's not illegal. They're just finding clever ways to avoid giving taxes. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. I have this question in my mind that you said that money is something which we put value on, right? Right. Oh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Or in exchanging or something like that. So what are the factors which makes us put value on something? So oh, why, okay. do we, why do we like value dollars instead of, say, let's say, okay. this or something like that? And so, mm-hmm. and, and oh. uh, I can give one funny example of Dogecoin, right? <laughs> <laughs> like it was created out of a joke and then it turned out to be yeah. an actual currency. So what mm-hmm. natural instincts did we have to make that make a joke, a currency. Right. Well, that's the whole thing. So our society has different things always through history that we feel are worthy. So if we go way back in time, what was worthy is having water. So a lot of times what happens in our society is that we have this thing where take social networking, In social networking, what we think is important is looking a certain way. So we start to use filters and, you know, whatever. And so what happens is we start to see value in looking a certain way, which is unrealistic. And this happens to men and women. We start to look at where people are going and travel bloggers and even food. Like even the food is filtered and and posed a certain way. So we start to compare ourselves to what other people are doing. And this go, this is going to go back to money. But so we start to look at this is what's valuable. Well, now, if you just put like a regular picture of food up, it's not going to get likes. It's not going to get followers. It's just an ugly plate of food. Mm. But it's real. And so what's happening is we are becoming more and more focused on through social networking, what other people think and what other people value. So when it comes to money, we're taught from our parents and society that you need to make a certain amount of money to to be happy, to be successful. And our parents, most of our parents, and I'm going to use the United States because I'm going to use the dollar and what the dollar's worth and so forth. So the dollar, which isn't worth a whole lot these days, but the dollar 
a lot of people will say, you need to make $100,000 or $200,000 or $800,000 just to be happy. And a lot of times those people are in debt or they're living paycheck to paycheck. The, mm. the studies show that 70 in the United States, $70,000 and knowing how to manage your money is the sweet spot of happiness. But a lot of people think $70,000 isn't enough. And that's because they don't know how to manage their money. And it's because they're comparing themselves to people that are not managing their money. So how we develop, I think, from a psychological space, how we develop value is what is taught to us in our environment. Honestly, if I didn't know what, like, I don't have anything near me, but like, say my water bottle was a dollar, um, like an actual dollar. Mm. I, it, it is worthless to me if I don't know from other people that this is meaningful. So that's where Dogecoin or Dogecoin, I guess, is valuable because a lot of people started saying this is a joke, but let's make it valuable. We can make anything valuable. We really can, but we just don't. And even education is not really seen as very valuable. Um, there's a lot of things that should be valuable that are not like teachers are not paid super well in the United States because we don't see that as valuable. We don't see that as um, impressive, but celebrities are, we see that as impressive because <laughs> we are looking at their lives and we want to be that person. Um, even like the shirt I'm wearing. Okay. So I saw this shirt on someone that came, it was a magazine and I saw the shirt on the person and I was like mm -hmm. influenced. So I am, I do neuromarketing. So I understand what was happening to me. Didn't mean it was stopping me. I still was like, I want that shirt. And so that's the kind of thing, like it was an emotional thing. I didn't need another shirt. I'm actually very minimalist. I only have 37 pieces of clothing right now. This is 38. So um, for me, I, I should back up. In the United States, it's like more is better. So it does matter on where you live as well. But in the United States, excess and being gluttonous with everything is what is important to many people. And they don't see it that way. They just see it as like, oh, I just need more closet space. It's like, no, you just need to be happy and get rid of everything. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a video on it a few years ago. I think like when the pandemic really first hit, which sounds horrible to say a couple of years ago, but um, I decided... I started looking around and going, I think what it was is that the pandemic just made me realize what's important. And I started looking at all my clothes going, you know what? There's a lot of people that could use clothes. I don't even wear these. Um, although this is bright yellow, I wear yellow and beige for the most part and black. Like I very, I know like I'm, I'm not a colorful kind of person. So I got rid of over 500 items of clothing, over 500. And what happens is, People tend to just buy things. And, and I will give you an example of what I did. I would go into my closet and there was too many choices and nothing was actually intentional. I might like this or I like that, but it doesn't go with anything. And then I would go into my closet the next day and have nothing to wear because nothing was intentional. And there was too many choices. It was like walking into a store and not knowing what looks right or what is going to match or it, it was too much work. So when I got rid of everything and I was really minimal, all of a sudden, I mean, honest to God, if you walked into my closet, blindfolded and just picked anything, it would all match. Like every single thing matches, except maybe this, but, um, cause this is kind of bright. I don't know if you could tell, but this is almost like neon yellow, but, um, but that's the problem is people see excess as valuable and that waters down the value. So all of the clothes I had, hundreds of thousand dollars of clothing because some of it was name brand and whatever was meaningless to me. It became so meaningless. It was watered down. So having less became more valuable to me. And I think that's what happens a lot of times with people that are really managing their money. They realize that less is more and people that are not managing their money just want to keep filling themselves up. So I think that's where some of our sense of value comes from our own sense of our own value is being put onto money. Hmm. What I think is that people in terms of money think that the more they have, the more happier than they're going to be. 
And mm-hmm. I think that's a very common understanding about money. But what I feel like is that it is, it is important to have money, but it is also important mm-hmm. to have the right kind of skill sets and knowledge right. to know right. how to manage that money. Because for example, right. let's say you win $7,000, okay? Mm-hmm. And the person, you know, they get just one person, for example, two persons uh, win $70,000 in a lottery, for example. One person is financially mm-hmm. literate and the other person mm-hmm. is not. Both of right. them becomes happy after winning the after winning such a huge price. One just mm-hmm. you know, w- uh, you know, just wastes it on on maybe entertainment purposes, and the other one uses that money wisely to grow mm-hmm. that seventy thousand dollars to let's mm-hmm. say hundred thousand dollars on one or one forty thousand dollars or even more and create a greater impact around his society, a positive, uh, like good impact. So this is where financial literacy is very important and how -hmm. you manage your emotions with money is very important because if you go like from rich to broke and, but you have the right kind of mentality, right kind of approach towards money, it will be easier for you to, you know, bounce back financially compared to if you do not have any experiences or skills about money and you do not know how to manage money or you're just too much emotionally attached with money. And mm-hmm. and I, so I feel like we human beings are, have a lot deeper sense more than the materialistic things we associate with our surroundings in terms of happiness. Yeah, definitely. I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't know whether I was able to express it or not, but at the end of the day, people become happy because of relationships they have, because of mm-hmm. the work they're doing, whether they whether they find it fulfilling or not. You know, they yes. say that it is very lonely at the top. And mm-hmm. they, they say that, and if you if you notice, like most of the luxury cars, like you know, oh, I, I may be wrong. I'm not a car specialist. But as far as I know, they have only two seats or, you know, one seat or three seats. This shows that mm-hmm. it's very lonely at the top. People want to get rich, mm-hmm. but they do not want to see the drawbacks of getting rich. Right. And they sometimes even right. joke about it. Like, I'll, I'll rather be sad and rich rather than poor and sad, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. And that comes to, there's two different components there. So there's financial literacy, which is more the... Every day, like I get a dollar, where's this dollar going and how am I going to spend it or save it? But then there's the emotions behind it. So what I see a lot of is I see a lot of people saying like, oh, I'm going on a debt free journey and Mm -hmm. they might even get to that debt free journey. But it doesn't mean that they're staying on it. It's you know what it's like? It's like someone who had 100 pounds to lose and they work Mm -hmm. really hard to lose that 100 pounds. They lose the 100 pounds. They show everyone on Facebook the before and after, and they're looking for recognition. I mean, that's 100% what they're doing. They are looking for recognition. They want other people to notice that they look better than that picture where they were heavier. So when people are saying, like, I'm on a debt-free journey or I'm debt-free, it's the same mentality. But you can't, unless you know why you gained weight or you know why you had debt, And you solve those problems, you're going to gain the weight again, which statistics show 97% of dieters gain weight again. And I believe that probably very close to that of the people that have been debt free, they will go back to having bills or whatever, because they haven't worked on what it is. Like, one big thing is like, I think Dave Ramsey is great in a lot of ways and not great in a lot of ways. And One thing that he tells people to do is put money in an envelope. He has a system for that, which I don't even know that it's his system, but it's a system that he uses. And I do tell people that's one way of doing it. You can, there's a lot of different ways to save and be visual about your money. But the problem is, is that the very wealthy people do not do that. Like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are not sitting around, I don't think, with a bunch of envelopes in front of them going, okay, here's my money. I'm going to put it in this envelope. I'm going to make sure that I have that. That's not what people do. That's like 
that's just like a, to me, that's crash dieting. That's crash dieting for your income and crash dieting for your body and crash dieting for your income are never going to work. I mean, I shouldn't say that for some people they work for most people. They're not going to work. You have to know why you're even in that situation. And it's not just because your parents spent money or like, it can't mm. be like that. There's a lot to our psychological self. Like when people are a hundred pounds or 200 pounds overweight, it's not because they like junk food. It's because they're mm. eating the junk food because something maybe in their chemical makeup is making them crave. Like it's basically an addiction, the same way that alcohol or anything else would be junk mm. food or sugary foods or carbohydrates are going to change your brain. And the same thing happens. Your brain changes when you spend and when you save, but you have to know why you're craving the save. Because some people have money problems because they save. Mm. Like you could be married to someone and they're saving a lot of money, but you and that partner are having money problems because they're saving. So you have to, even wealthy people might have power struggles with the people in their lives, or they might have financial anxiety because it's lonely at the top. And mm. that's where people don't think more deeply about what's going on. Um, just like years ago, evolutionary psychology, we know that you had to trade, you had to have something to trade a value to get food. So we always are putting our self-worth connected with money, even back in evolutionary times. So it's important for people to understand that their person, who they are and their self-value is very intricately tied to their money and how they spend it and how they view it and how they view other people. So there's this one thing that I do real quick. I want to tell you about that when people, cause a lot of people have temptation mm. and I call it riding the surf. Basically you're riding the wave. And when you feel temptation with buying something or eating something or going for alcohol or whatever, you have to think of it as a wave in an ocean. And what's happening is there's like a lot of chemicals going on that you're fighting to mm. get that thing, whether it's junk food or buying something. And you have to kind of ride the wave because as soon as your body doesn't get reward for that thing, the chemicals balance out a little bit more. Like they, the chemicals surge to try to get you to do that addiction. And then they come back again like a wave, like a wave hits the shore and then sort of dissipates. And you have to wait for the, the dissipated kind of wave. And when you do that, you're your hormones balance a little bit more. So it's really important to do that and not just focus on being disciplined with your money, but understanding it, if that makes sense. So anybody could be disciplined, but mm. to understand something is a lot more deep because when you understand it, you don't need to be disciplined. It's sort of like um, working out when you first learn a workout, um, like I'm learning how to row, not like row on a boat, like out in like just like a rowing machine. And when I first started it, like I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm sure I looked clumsy, but now I'm getting the hang of it. And now it, it doesn't take discipline for me to think about it. Like I just get on the rowing machine and I do it and now it's second nature. So I didn't just have to be disciplined, but I had to understand what I was doing. I had to understand why I was doing it. Like, why was I putting my elbows out instead of keeping my elbows in? So understanding what I was doing with the discipline is what got me to be able to do a little bit better with it. And that's how money is. You have to understand it, not just be disciplined. And I just think that a lot of people don't get that, you know? So even really wealthy, some, some people, and I shouldn't say wealthy, people that make a lot of money sometimes mm. don't understand it either. It's about the repeated process, which you apply in anything in life, it can mm -hmm. be money or anything. But when I was young, I used to think that if I keep saving for a long time and at the end of the day, when I'm going to have a large amount of money, I'm mm -hmm. going to become rich. But when I, when I was growing up, when I, uh, but very soon I realized that this concept, which I had, in, which I have in my, in my mind is very, horrible concept because something destroys my dream which is called the inflation which many people mm -hmm. do not realize they think that they're keeping money in the bank and they're getting like two percent to three percent interest but yeah. the inflation yeah, rate is five percent 
and mm-hmm. they do not even realize that even though they're getting interest at the end of the day their money is getting devalued which is the lack of knowledge and you know like a financial literacy they do not mm-hmm. invest the money into systems which can generate more money instead they just give that money to themselves like it's a i know it's a psychological safety when you have the your money with yourself like you can use it in mm-hmm. any crisis situation or any way right. you want but i think you should keep certain amount for that crisis situation and then keep keep the rest amount so that it can generate money itself so that it can grow mm-hmm. itself and here in yeah. and here in this case as well i want to say that many people who are new investors or you know greedy mm-hmm. for money they just invest oh in, yeah yeah they just invest in whatever place to see or find lucrative without understanding how that process or how that system is going to make them more money which is why at the end of the day they fall into scams like millions of dollars right. or thousands of dollars scams and at the end of the day they blame the system where mm-hmm. where actually it was their fault because they were greedy and they did not even care to understand what are they putting their money into and so this is why i think you need to you know financially make yourself financially literate you know have an open mm-hmm. mind and try to gain knowledge from people who are unbiased and talking about gaining knowledge when young people like me want to you know know about how money works or how the economy works they normally get the idea from their parents but whenever you ask your parent to be you know to give to teach you how money works they do not have any proper idea because most probably they do not also know how money works depending on what kind of family you are from so where can mm-hmm. young people like me who want or any kind of people who wants to learn mm-hmm. about money where they can get the reliable source you can say the, the from the internet but these days people are any random people are giving money advices about in, from the internet and people are taking those advices but you do not have any system or method to verify whether they're truly qualified about talking this about and discussing about these kind of things so where can people mm-hmm. get reliable uh, advices or money and where you know any reliable source from where they can learn about managing money well there's a couple of things number 1 i think that you always have to have several sources never mm. just one and so i think that uh like in the united states we have nonprofits that teach about money and i think going with a nonprofit mm-hmm. is different because they don't really have a whole lot to gain they they they're supposed to do a lot of outreach and i think this thing that's really important but i also think it's important to see a therapist that's either local to you or like i do mentoring anywhere but and i'm not trying to sell me either and just <laughs> so you know even if i was trying to sell me i do pay what you can so i don't actually have a fee that's specific so mm-hmm. If you can only pay a dollar, you pay a dollar. Um, so, free resources, anything that looks like it's too good to be true, stay away from. Um, so, and YouTube has a lot of that. TikTok has a lot of that. I actually am so tempted on TikTok to like just go and look for the get rich schemes, but then I'm getting caught up in the game, and I just focus on like helping people get past their trauma and their neglect. uh so that when you get past your trauma and neglect you have a better self image and you look at the whole world differently including your relationship with money because now your relationship with yourself is much more balanced and you said something about parents mm-hmm. one thing about parents is that and I'm a parent so um and I totally get it but parents are going to tell you what they learned and what's working for them but they usually don't stay on top of what's happening so most mm-hmm. people that are my age uh in their 50s are not buying cryptocurrency it's usually younger people so i learned more yeah. about cryptocurrency from my son who's in his 20s and then i started delving more into it but a lot of times people don't expand out of like what they once they're comfortable in a certain situation they just don't do anything more and so that's why with parents it could be a little dated and they're also bringing in you know a lot of times um people my age and older 
are usually not going to therapy just to become a better person. Usually mm. people, if they do go to therapy, it's only because like they're in a big crisis and shit has hit the fan. So like they only will go to therapy if they're in crisis, but they tend to not go to like learn more about themselves and maybe they could better themselves. They, they don't do that. And again, it costs money to do that. So mm. some people just can't afford it. And some people just don't see the value in it. Like they would rather buy junk food than spend it on therapy. And that's what I mean, where it also depends on what you value. I have seen people say to me, I can't afford therapy. But then the next week I see them talking on Facebook about the $500 pair of shoes they bought that no one's going to care about, but they feel like they're important because they bought that $500 pair of shoes, but they can't afford therapy. So it's about what your values are. But as to where someone can go, you do have to have a diversified space where it's a lot of nonprofits that you go to. So if you just type into Google or Bing or Yahoo or wherever, nonprofit plus financial literacy, a lot of them will pop up. And you just have to make sure that it is a nonprofit because for-profits that teach financial literacy have a vested interest in making money. So a nonprofit gets money from the government as well. So they don't have to charge a whole lot or anything at all. But a for-profit that's teaching financial literacy, they have to get money from you. So you, you just have to look. Now, I should say that some of them offer a lot for free. Like I'm not a nonprofit, but I offer a lot for free. Um, and I also, because of the pandemic, I started a whole different business model of pay whatever you can. So, but I can afford to do that, but some people can't afford to do that. And they will try to like, they'll start you in a funnel it's called. So they'll, they'll start with something free. And the next thing is going to be something that's 29 or $39, maybe, maybe $97. Then the next thing is going to be something that's $297. Then the next thing is private coaching for like $8,000. And they keep like warming you up. And that's neuromarketing where they're building trust, building trust, and they're hoping. Now, if you don't take the 197 thing, they have another thing in their funnel. It's all computerized that, so if you got the free thing and maybe you bought the $27 thing, but you're not gonna buy that $197 thing. The, after maybe two or three times that they send an email and you don't click that, the email automatically puts you to a $27 thing. And, they, and then you're like, oh, I can afford that. And then they just keep ping-ponging you back and forth. But what you don't realize is through that funnel of the neuromarketing, you're actually paying maybe at the end of a year or two years, $800, and you really didn't get anything of value. You just got a lot of little crap, you know? And that's what you have to really watch out for. So just because they offer something for free initially doesn't mean you're getting a lot of value. You just have to really make sure that they continually off offer things for free. Like I love, to give you a really good example, I love SEO and search engine optimization for anyone that doesn't know what I'm talking about. And there's a guy, Neil Patel, who I absolutely love. He offers so much for free. So I know when I get an email from him or he has something to offer, hmm. yeah, he sells things, but he also offers so much for free. So I feel like that's really good. I do have a membership with him, but I also know that he offers so much for free. That's someone who you want to work with. Like that's the kind of business model you want to look for. Someone who's constantly offering value, even if they have something to sell. But there isn't really, I can't honestly say that there's any one place that you should go because, I mean, money's a taboo topic and there's a lot of greed around it and you do have to kind of sift through it. So nonprofits are always the way to go. And even the government, every government almost always has some kind of a, a program to help people. And they do want people to make more money usually because the more people that are um, more confident and more secure, they will not need government money. So that's another thing to look at is the government as well. You just said that the government wants us to learn about earning more money. Then why don't they teach us about money in schools? Well, that's up to the schools, though. So the government does, at least in the United States, they will fund the school system. But the problem is they teach the very basics. 
like when I was in school, even though it was a long time ago, when I asked my kids, not much, much has changed. They teach you how to write a check. They teach you how to balance a budget, the very basics, but they don't know psychology. So that's the problem. Like they will teach you the basics of like what people call financial literacy is really just the very basic. They're not going into psychology. They're not going into neuromarketing because now that becomes like a science and it becomes much deeper. So it's the same thing of like, I'll give you an example of a school system. Schools will have bullying campaigns to stop bull bullies, mm -hmm. but they're not going to teach kids how to understand the trauma that bullies cause and the long-term trauma, post-trauma that comes from it. So they can only teach so much that for whatever reason, because they have so much that they have to bring out, but I wish they would teach more and I wish they would. Well, you know what, now that I'm saying it out loud, maybe one of the reasons why they don't go deeper is because it would probably trigger a lot of parents. Because if you sat there and told like the stuff that we discussed, the kid cannot go home and say, hey, I hear you and dad talking about living paycheck to paycheck. So that means you're really worried about keeping up with the neighbors. The parents would get so insulted by that. So I think that that might even be why schools don't do it. Because schools also do a lot to cater to parents. Like they have STEMs, uh, like in our area, we have a STEM school, science and technology and engineering and math. And parents were fighting to put their kids in that school. But you know what? It's all the same stuff that we learned back in like the 80s. It's like nothing is special there. Um, I mean, I'm a therapist. I've had kids that, that went to that specific STEM school. And the stuff that they were telling me, it was all marketing. The school just did this. They took a building. They called it a special building for STEM. And mm -hmm. all the parents wanted their kids to go there. And they made it like a wait list. And it was all typical neuromarketing. And the parents were just like falling for it. So it's the same thing of like schools cater to the parents because if you have enough parents that are happy and feel proud, you can get away with a lot more because the parents are happy. So. Hmm, that's, but I think the pleasure which they're getting is a short term pleasure, but in the long term is very, it's causing a very big damage because people are not learning about money and that is and i think not learning about money is one of the main reasons or even a very crucial reason on why the income inequality is rising day by day through this maybe they're getting some short-term gains but in long term they're damaging the future and future of many kids or many people and I think the lack of financial literacy is one of the main reasons why people or why we are seeing the rise of in income inequality. And mm -hmm. again, people who are poor or middle class, they are, you know, they're blaming the rich people for not doing more. And that's understandable from their point of frustration. But I think mm -hmm. if people become more financially literate, that is going to also help reduce the income inequality. And, you know, they just blame the government maybe, but you need to understand that the government cannot control everything. The, the people right. in power cannot control everything. If you become financially literate, that's going to help reduce the income, in, income gap as well, or the income inequality as well. So I just want to ask you a very, you know, situation-based question. And that is, say, for example, there is a man who has a lot of responsibilities, let's say family and kids. Uh, he also has his dream or passion, but he does not have any job and his cash inflow is very poor. And what I mean to say is broke. So mm -hmm. how can he keep himself emotionally stable? And what kind of mm -hmm. mental development does he need to come out of that situation in, in terms okay. of finance? Okay, so number one, this actually goes hand in hand with something that you mentioned before you, and, and that we both mentioned. So governments do want us to have just enough that we get by, okay? They don't want to have to hand out a lot. 
but they also, not they, but in general, society doesn't promote us to be very successful. Because if we're very successful and independently wealthy, we don't need to get jobs. We don't need to take jobs that are like lower for us. So there's a there's a weird benefit to keeping people right in the middle or lower so that we can be controlled. Because the more money you have and the more freedom you have, you can't be controlled. So that's one thing. Which brings me to, if he's feeling broke and he doesn't have his passions, he's feeling like he doesn't have freedom. And he's more reacting to society and reacting to being broke than living. So my main thing would be for him to look at how can I feel better today? Like what one little thing can I do today? And it seems silly, but you have to look at being broke as a trauma. And being broke is a trauma. It's incredibly traumatic to be in poverty. So you have to look at poverty as not how do I get more money, but how do I deal with this trauma? When you start realizing the aspects of trauma that you have in poverty and you start to heal that trauma, you start to have less stress. When you have less stress, so imagine the whole back of your head is like mm. where the magic happens, but the front lobe is where you're thinking. That's it. There's like a little kind of like acorn here for your cognitive function. When you're stressed out, it kind of like covers that and you can't think clearly, but the less stress you have and the more you're like, oh, wait a minute, all of a sudden you can see clearly. That's why people say, don't make a decision when you're stressed out or when people have a very traumatic experience, they're in shock and they're like numb. It's because mm -hmm. that happens. So if you're chronically broke all of the time, this is not working well. So you have to get calm. You have to be focused. You have to work on your anxiety, your depression. Uh, what does this signify to you? And as that happens, kind of this like veil pulls away and you start to see things more clearly. And that's where you start to see where the answers might be. So the number one thing is to work on your trauma, the trauma of poverty. And the number two thing is once that becomes more clear, trusting yourself. And that means as you're working on trauma, you have to work on trusting yourself and also quieting the noise of even maybe your spouse, your parents, your kids, whoever is creating it, um, society, you have to remember that all of these opinions don't matter. They matter a little bit if it's your spouse, children, parent, but society, not so much. So it's really about, you know, getting over that trauma, the poverty trauma, and then bringing yourself to what do you really want? If, if making everybody else wasn't an issue, what do you really want? And what little tiny things can you do to get there? And I mean, I was in pretty bad poverty myself and I was able to kind of go, you know what? I'm sick of living for other people. I'm almost homeless. Um, I'm eating food that I don't even like just because it's cheap. And I just, I didn't want to live like that anymore. And actually someone said to me, somebody was actually pretty rude to me, but it was the best thing ever. The guy said, you know what? I was dressed really horribly. I didn't care about myself. And he said, you know what? this is not the way a young girl should look. I was like in my early twenties and that like really hit me. He was an older guy and being a mentor to me. He wasn't being rude. He wasn't being sexist. He was a mentor because the way he did it was with the intention of caring about me. And he was a friend of the family. Mm. Groups, even if they were not support groups that mattered to me, like I have nobody in my family that's an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic, but there was a free, support group right down the street from me that was for alcoholics that's the one I went to and I just went to anything and everything that was free to learn more and I did get value from every single thing that I did so that's that's what you have to do you just have to start just what can I do that will fuel my soul and as that starts to happen you start to get more hope and more energy your body changes chemicals when you get happier and more focused and that creates more energy and you feel more confident and you start just going for things and opportunities start to open for you because you see things differently. You don't see the glass half empty, you see it half full and you have confidence to go for things. So that's exactly what I would tell someone to do. Definitely. And I think what you just said, I feel that on a personal level because I've also realized that when you focus on the small details, on improving the small details and you just you know keep doing it like one detail then another then another you know and you feel good about yourself 
and you start mm -hmm. feeling confident about the right. things which you're doing and you know in that in during that process you know you feel really good and you feel really happy and sometimes mm -hmm. and through that process even if minor rejection comes you do not care that way because you know if because of the confidence if you're if you're doing 100 things and you know maybe you're just failing on 10 things you do not even care about that that much because what you're focusing mm -hmm. on is the 90% things which you're doing well and that's going to make right. and that's making you feel more happy and confident and you're taking that confidence to the next step and that confidence is helping you to achieve that next step as well and exactly and i think that is very important for growth and i think uh, i i saw in a video of goalcast and goalcast i don't know whether you've heard the name or not you know they're mm -hmm. just saying that uh, start off your day by making your bed because yes. when you, when you come back from a, from work, let's say you have a horrible day, you'll see that a bed which is made by you, and that's going to make right. you feel confident. Moreover, right. you know you just finish the first work of your day. That's going to give you more confidence. That's going to make you feel happy, and then mm -hmm. and then it's going to help you to finish another work and then another work, and and right. it might start a cycle of of you doing good work and you know being successful and probably at the end of the day it might make your day a very successful one so one of the exactly. last and a very important question i want to ask is that say for example a person a guy or a girl is you know in a very remote area where mm -hmm. you know everything's a very bit taboo and mm -hmm. they do not have any much facilities all that person has is a laptop and very poor mm -hmm. internet connection so and mm -hmm. that person wants to become financially stable but the only resource mm -hmm. they have maybe is is just a few hours of time a laptop and a very poor internet connection what can that mm -hmm. person do using these three resources to become financially independent um i would say that start doing things from first of all what can you do, like say in a community? Like if I was in a remote area, what can I do in my community to make some kind of money um, or be of value to people in my community, even if it's free? Also, I would write a book and upload that book to Amazon and start getting people seeing you as an author and seeing you as someone that has something to offer. And that's where people start to take notice from outside of that community as well. So, and it doesn't have to be a big book. I, I mean, one of my first books was like 30 pages, like very small. So, I mean, I've written several books. I would say that I didn't love all of those books. Now that I look back, I mean, I, I don't, I think a lot of them are junk, honestly. Um, but at the time they were meaningful and they helped me. And I think that's really important is to be able to bring your own thoughts and opinions to a topic that you feel passionate about. So, and sometimes it has, I mean, I have a lot of books on fitness because a lot of my past had to do with fitness. So mm. fitness, spirituality, things like that and giving a different twist to it. So that's the number one thing I would say to do because you don't need to have a good internet connection for that. You just need to be able to type and put your words down, even if it's poetry, like anything, like create anything at all to be known for and to start getting that out there, because if you upload it to Amazon, Amazon is going to be everywhere and you will have and they have great connections. So once you upload it to other places and have maybe a Facebook page or a TikTok page, um, you can start doing that. So that's what I would say to do if you're in a remote area. Definitely. And also networking. I should mm -hmm. say that, too. Networking is also really important to get to know other people. Like what kind of networking are you talking about? Um, just like interacting with people, interacting with people, getting to know them. Hmm. So that they can build a community and, you know, positive mm -hmm. community and they can help, they can use that community to grow and, you know, maybe right. spread some knowledge and create a good impact. Mm -hmm. So as yes, far definitely. as I know, as far as I know, you have worked with both rich people, middle class and mm -hmm. poor people, right? So mm -hmm. what is the fundamental difference in mentality you see between the three classes and how can you know, people from 
poor or middle class family become rich or financially independent? Um, there's actually not a difference. They all have self-value issues. It's really about believing in yourself. So all of them have self-value issues. They just show it in different ways. So like the wealthy person might have relationship issues. The middle income person might have anger issues. Uh, the person in poverty might not feel that they're good enough, but all of them, when they focus on themselves, start to even out more. Oh, I asked that, what's your top three financial advice? Oh, well, I don't give financial advice. I give therapy advice. I'm a, I'm a finance therapist. So my number one thing would be to focus on your trauma because mm -hmm. your trauma is what's driving everything. Um, and that could be neglect trauma. And trauma could be like your society, what's happening in your society. Number two would be find things that fuel your soul. And number three, share, just be able to share with others. And that's where money comes from. That's where happiness comes from. So money doesn't come from balancing a checkbook. Money comes from knowing why you're balancing the checkbook and where, what you want out of life, not just dollar, just not just money. It's just not numbers. It's more than that. So. Mm. Because people say, or as they say, that sharing is caring. And I think at mm -hmm, the definitely. end of the day, it is somewhat true. And so I would mm -hmm. like to request you to share your social media handles <laughs> so that oh, okay. people can um, follow you. Yes. Yeah, so if you look up the finance therapist or Pava Psych, and it's P-A-I-V-A-P-S-Y-C-H, Pava Psych. But if you just look up Michelle Pava or the finance therapist, um, that's me. So um, all of that is on my website, which is thefinancetherapist.com. So all of that's there. And I love TikTok. So I prefer people to meet me over at TikTok because I feel like I'm more intimate over at TikTok. I feel like I can get to know people. So I like that. So thank you, Michelle. I think it was a thank very- Thank you so much. I want to do this again. This is fun. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully in the future, I'll invite you again. Feel free. Yes, that'll be great. That'll be wonderful. Thank you so much for all of this. And um, I'm just like really happy that, I'm sorry that I didn't have a lot of time today, but crazy day. So um, we have a sink issue, <laughs> but anyway, I want everyone to know that I appreciate you. And even this wasn't a long interview, it was a really good interview. So thank Most you. probably people will not see the sinks because people will not see the, you know, errors which we had in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going That's to fine. make it as smooth as possible. But I think like if we had more time, then probably we would have a better and more insightful mm -hmm. conversation about the mm -hmm. psychological side of money. But for some reason, we did not have enough time. But no yeah. problem. We will hopefully come back in the future with something more Great, deep. Thank you. So thank you. Thank Michelle. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.